0: So, this morning, if y'all would, let's just, just join in with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Lord, we just come to you this morning, Father, in the name of Jesus, and Lord, I just pray that you would be with each and every person here this morning. Father, I pray that your word will not return void, Lord, but it will accomplish what you send it forth to do. Father, I pray that you would give us all ears to hear and eyes to see what you would tell us and what you would show us. Lord, speak to each and every one of us, Lord. Help us to hear what you have to say to each one of us individually and corporately, Lord. Father, just use me, Lord, as your microphone. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. Let it not be my words, but yours. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart not only be acceptable in your sight, Lord, but be from you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into this place to flood us, Lord. I invite you in. Please, Lord, because I can't do this without you. I don't want to do this without you. And, Lord, I just pray that you just be with us. Be with me, Lord. Give me strength today, Lord. And we just ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Brad and I were talking earlier, and, you know, he reminded me to try to wrap up at noon. Because I give Brad a hard time about preaching long, but... Anybody who's heard me preach knows I can—I give him a good run for his money. So, um, I want to start out this morning. We're going to go in John five, and if you've heard me preach long, you know that's where we're going to start. But who knows what's going to happen after that? Megan actually asked me, "Hey, are we going to stay in order?" I said, "Have you heard me preach?" So, but well, we're going to try to start. <clears throat> John 5, chapter 1, or John chapter 5, verse 1, sorry. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? This is one of the saddest verses in scripture. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I want to try to go back and start, kind of break this down just a little bit. So. It, says, it starts out, it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So, <clears throat> Jews were required three times a year to go back to Jerusalem for three feasts, right? The Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Passover. And most of us know what the Passover is. So, I'm going to have to keep these things on. Getting old is not good. You'll be there one day, don't worry about it because I thought I was going to be all right for the rest of my life. And then I hit 40. <coughs> so so they they were required to go. So, see, the thing is, like, if you notice, like, even in this story, right, Jesus did this on the Sabbath. He did a lot of things on the Sabbath. You know, he liked to stir the pot a little bit. But, see, the thing is, it, it was because he wasn't really breaking the law. Because, see, Jesus going back to Jerusalem shows you that he follows the law of God. And he follows the law of God perfectly. What he has a problem with was all the addendums that men had added onto the law of God. And, you know, we do the same thing today where we add different things, you know what I mean? Because, like, some of the things that they said you couldn't do on the Sabbath, right? You can could, you could only walk 2,000 cubits. But there's an addendum, right? It's 2,000 cubits outside the city. So what's the city? It's not exactly where the lines are, it's where there's no more dwellings. So if you had house from city to city, you could walk from one city to the other on the Sabbath. You know, you could have a city that's three miles wide, and it's legal for you to walk across that city the three miles, but if you walk, you know, two thousand and two cubits past that, oh well now you're breaking the Sabbath. You see what I'm saying? You know, you had, you can only, carry, you couldn't carry something from one house to another. You know, you couldn't kindle a fire. You know, and, and, and we've made it, Patty knows. Patty's Jewish, for those of you who don't know. And so she grew up in that home and grew, grew up in that society, I would say, where you have, <clears throat> and the first time I encountered this was I was uh, hooking up a gas stove and it has a setting for, a Sabbath setting, a kosher setting, to where you can't turn the gas stove on because you can't start a fire on the Sabbath. Well, I'm sorry, but when they said you can't kindle a fire in the first century was a little bit different than just going click. You know, you're rubbing two sticks together. You're sparking stuff. you got to get, you know, a little bit more intense. But, you know, Jesus, he got hammered a lot by the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes because they said he was breaking the law. You know, and Jesus told them, you know, Matthew he says, "Do not do not think that I came to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law." Right. Jesus did something none of us have ever been able to do. He followed the law perfectly. He didn't he didn't break it. He did not break not one commandment. You know, not one, not ever in his life, not every Listen, here's the thing. You know, when the, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gives him all these commandments. So he says, well, I've kept all of them. Really? So, and Jesus says, really? No, you didn't. Sell all you have and give everything to the poor come and follow me. So he proved to him, no, you can't follow all the commandments. But see, the thing is, even if you do follow this law, the Pharisees, the, the strictest Pharisees, they cannot follow the law because you've got to follow it perfectly every moment of every second of every day of your life. You slip one time, one moment, you've broken the law. You know, we've all broken the law since we got up this morning. I mean, probably most of us before we even got out of bed, you know. So, you know, to sit there and do this, like I said, you know, so this just proves that Jesus followed the law. <clears throat> so, now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Now the Sheep Gate that was just the gate where they would bring the sheep into the into Jerusalem to take them in the temple for the sacrificing, right? And so there was this place called Bethesda. Now, it's interesting because this place, Bethesda, is translated the house of grace or the house of mercy, right? And what's really funny, or what's really interesting, is it has five porches, right? Five covered colonnades, five coverings inside the house of mercy, Has anybody ever heard of evangelist, apostle, prophet, teacher, preacher, pastor, right? So you've got people, you've got a great multitude of sick people waiting for the moving of the water. So you've got all these people sitting here in the house of mercy under the five coverings, sick, blind, lame, paralyzed. You've got people who are blind, either they can't see and it, look, let me tell you something, it, it's right here. And it's not just the church, because if I really want to get you fired up, I get up here and I can talk about the church as a whole. But there's probably going to be 10 people outside of this church actually see this. So I know realistically, I'm talking to Brookside Church of God right now. And I'm talking to people sitting in this room. So as you, if you know me, you know that when I preach, <clears throat> one, I've been getting hammered by this the whole time I've been studying it. But here's the thing. Don't sit there like I've heard other people talk about. Don't sit here with a shovel, and every time you hear me say something, go, oh, well, that was for that person over there. That was for that person. No, no, no. Take it personally. Bring it home. Make it about you. That's what's wrong with the church today is we do not judge ourselves that we may not be judged. We've got to judge ourselves more than we judge everybody else. Spend a little more time looking in instead of looking out and I'm telling you the church in this country would change. Yeah. You know, the thing is if we <coughs> I'm going to let that and go. I'm going to leave it alone. <coughs> so there's a great multitude of sick people waiting. And you know, the thing about this is the interesting thing is they knew they were sick. You know, they knew they had some problems. They knew they were blind. They knew they were lame. They knew they were paralyzed. That word paralyzed, it's also translated as um, withered. You know, and, and what's funny is withered, sorry, can't move or won't move. Or it also means dry, arid, waterless. How many people, how many of us are sitting in here right now that are dry and arid or waterless because we do not let the Holy Spirit do what He needs to do in us? We don't sit in the waters of God and listen to Him and walk with Him and hear that enough. You know, and so, but all these people, at least they knew they had a problem. There's a lot of us sitting in here right now, we think we got it made, we're good. You know, hey, look. I prayed a prayer when I was four years old, so by gosh, I'm straight. Not knowing, like in Revelation 3.17, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's God speaking. That's Jesus. That's straight from the words. that, that, that That's in red. So, waiting for the moving of the water you know the thing is but how many times do we sit in church and that's what we're waiting on we're waiting for that one certain little moment that one thing to happen right because you know we're we're reaching out and we're waiting for our favorite preacher our favorite teacher our favorite song right the favorite tempo you know how many of us worship certain songs how many worship certain genres of songs? You know, because the thing is, we have this idea that, I mean, I've heard people that, by God, if it ain't Southern Gospel, it ain't Christian. Well, I'm sorry, but I guarantee you that if the first century Jew heard Southern Gospel, they'd be like, what in the world is that? Because, <clears throat> you know, not all of that is as anointed as we say it is, or we think it is. But there's also songs today that are not as anointed as we think they are, but... There are songs today that are as anointed as those old gospel songs. I mean, look, the second song we sung, you know, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. You know, the guy that wrote that song, I hate to break it to a lot of you, but he's Catholic. You know, and so for those of you who think that ain't going to be no Catholics in heaven, let me tell you something. There's true Christians in the Catholic church and there's fake Christians in the Catholic Church. There's true Christians in the Baptist, and there's fake Christians in the Baptist. There's true Christians in this church right now, and there's fake Christians in this church right now. Which one are you? Are you, are you, are you really serving God, or are you just playing the game? Because I want to tell you something. There's one day we are all, me included, we're all going to stand before God. And we're going to answer for the things we've done. We're going to answer for the way we've acted. We're going to answer for everything we haven't done that we know we should have been doing. Because it's all Christ in us. You know, I was talking to a lady yesterday, and I told her, I said, you know, the thing is, look, some of y'all have heard my testimony. Some of you hadn't. And you better be glad. Because you'd probably run out here right now. I ain't listening to that guy. If he's had a, if he's lived that kind of life, I don't want nothing to do with him. You know. Because, oh, but you know, the church we don't judge anybody on their past. You know, we we don't ever do any of that, right? Right. We we won't ever judge anybody on their past or what they've done in the past. I can tell you, Brad Donor, he wouldn't let me up here. But, you know, the thing is. When you, when you read this, I do a little bit of teaching and preaching. Um, I heard Justin Franklin one time, he said, what's the difference between a teacher and a preacher? A teacher tells it and a preacher yells it. So, you know, I, I try to do a little bit of both. So, some of you, it depends on what translation you have. Um, verse 3, where it says, And these lay a great multitude of sick people blindly and paralyzed The second part, waiting for the moving of the water, and usually in all of verse 4, in some translations, that's actually deleted. And I'm not going to get deep off in the weeds in this, but the reason being is because they found older manuscripts that actually did not have that in there. Now, for those of you who don't know, up until 1450, I believe, when the first printing press was came about, everything had to be copied by hand. So, they were simply going off the manuscripts they had back then, and so you've got newer, older, older manuscripts that did not have these this part of the verse in it. Now, does that mean this part is not right, or this part need to be left out? No, I'm not a Bible scholar. You know, but Just know that it's not there. Does it mean it's any less biblical? Does it change the story whatsoever? No. And like I said, I could get way off in the weeds with this, and we could have a discussion about it, but now's not the time or the place. So just throwing that out there. But the thing is, this actually, these healing pools, so they actually were... These really came about during the Greek Empire, during the the Hellenistic period, because, like, they loved spas. So they would have all these spas pop up, and, like, where there were natural springs and stuff. Actually, I just found out, up by where I live in Hayden, that area, I guess a lot of y'all probably heard of Blunt Springs. Well, that's because that actually used to be a spa up there. And when you drive by, you can smell the sulfur spring. And it's kind of funny because you get to blame that smell on somebody else in the car as you drive by. So, you know, um, Alyssa don't like that when I do that to her. But, so, you've got these spas that they popped up all over the place. Well, so, you've got this pagan belief that, you know, What was the guys? They had a a god ask... It's Greek, so bear with me. And I'm not Greek. I'm redneck. (laughs) So, Asclepius, right? So, he was the Greek god of healing. So, they said that, you know, basically, he was sending down his workers to stir the waters, and people would try to get in, and then when they got in there, they would be healed. Well so then that just bled over into the Roman Empire, and so it just kept going. Well, this shows you how much the culture influenced the Jewish people. Now, see, it says here in verse 4 that an angel went down a certain time in the pool and served the water. Now, do I believe that an angel of God actually went into the water and stirred it up because that's what's in the Bible right here? No. No. And the reason I don't believe that It's twofold. I believe that what, because another thing you got to remember is when you read the Bible, it's like I heard a guy one time, he said, he loves it when people in his theology class would say, well, what this means to me is, and he'd say, hold on, right there. What does it mean if you were never born? In other words, when you read the Bible, keep your opinions out of it. Keep your biases out of it. yes, God speaks to us through this, but listen one of my favorite authors A.W. Tozer, he always said and he was a great preacher he was kind of dry but when you really listen to him you know, he's about like me, just dry but when you listen to him you could tell it was anointed but what I loved about A.W. Tozer he said that people would ask him, how does he get sermons he said, look When I read the Bible, I don't go trying to get sermons. He said, I read the Bible to find God, and God gives me words for sermons. You know, and that's the thing is, look, when you go in here, that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Instead, we take and we try to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, so all these things will be added to us, you know. So you're not really seeking God. You're seeking after the things that God gives you. You know, so so pay attention. What are you really seeking after? You know, like you had all these people. They're sitting there. What are they seeking after? They're not seeking after God. No, no. Even if they believed it was an angel, they're not going after the angel. They're just going after their healing. Right? So, you know, the re- and another reason I don't believe this is God is because you could, further on down, it tells you. Right? That people were just stepping over one another. People bypassing each other, trying to get to their healing. Right? So it creates a competition to see who can get to the water faster. God's not about competition. Right? He tells us later on, uh, Paul's speaking, and he says, you know, we compare ourselves with ourselves. Well, that's completely unbiblical. And he, he, he's not commending them for it. He's damning them for it. That wasn't cussing, so calm down. It's 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 a word. It's okay. Um, we'll just pretend we're in a Baptist church. So I said that out loud, didn't I? So, <laughs> but oh, well, we'll pretend we're Catholic. I know I've heard them. So I'm just gonna make everybody mad. Let's just just go across the board. Just tick everybody off right off the bat. <clears throat> So, but God, God doesn't create competition. But, you know, the thing is, I mean, we, we let competition come into the church. I mean, we do the same thing, right? If I can be the first one to get up there when the, when the song's going just right, or if I can be the first one to get up there when the preacher comes up and says, hey, let me lay hands on you, it, you know, people's running up to the front because, you know, shoving people out of the way, I got to get my healing. I got to get my anointing. I got to get my everything, which is completely anti-God, Right? Because, you know, the Bible says in James where envy and self seeking exist, envy and self seeking. Confusion and every evil thing are there. Money is not the root of all evil, pride is the root of all evil. You know, and that's a misquote anyway. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, all kinds of evil, actually. But I did a teaching on this a few weeks ago in our Sunday school class, and. You know, competition is a good thing. But individually, when you're really competitive, you really need to look at yourself because for the most part, that's insecurity. And that's pride because it's saying, I got to be better than everybody else. I got to beat everybody else. If you're competitive in everything you do, you know, I mean, we did it in the church, right? Because I got to be right about my denomination. You know, I got to be right about my beliefs. We got to be the best denomination. We got to be the best church on the street. We got to be the best church in the city. We got to have the biggest church. We got to have the most people, right? I got to have the most followers on Instagram or Facebook or whatever you're on. It's a, it's a, I got to have the most likes because it's all about me, 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 which is completely anti what God says, right? A, a lot of times we bring it in the church where, you know, we try to be the most righteous person. When in reality, you're just the most self-righteous person, you know, or we got to be the loudest prayer or we got to be the, the 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 one who everybody gets to see or everybody gets to hear, right? Or, or we got to have the best testimony or the worst testimony, right? Because I mean, how many times do we get in here and, and you hear somebody, because I've fallen into that trap, right? Because it's, you know, you tell your testimony and somebody tries to one-up you. You know, because it's really it's really about you. It's not really about God and what he's done for you. It's just really about me trying to make sure I'm worse off than Gabe. You know, which I'm pretty sure I'm not. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to I had to do it. So but you know, but you ain't heard my story yet. So but you know the thing is, man, it it is we gotta not do that. You know, it's not quit looking at us. In that light. Quit thinking that, you know, I've got to be this or I've got to be that, you know? Um, (laughs) I got to be the one in charge. Right? We had a a church me and Brenda used to go to that there was a person who was a praise team leader. And the reason they were the praise team leader is because somebody found out that they could sing. And so they approached them and asked them, hey, do you want to be on the praise team? Well, this person said, the only way I'll be on it is if I can lead it. In other words, not really lead it, it's just the only way I'll be on it is if I can be the one out front or if I can be the one bossing everybody around. Because we've, got, we've brought corporate leadership into the church instead of taking church leadership in the corporate world, right? Because we have this idea that whoever's in charge needs to be the one that everybody sees. See, we had, need to have that military mindset of leading from the front. You know what leading from the front means? It don't mean I'm the one out front and everybody gets to see me first. No, it means I'm the first one getting shot at. That's what a true leader is. It means I'm here to block the bullets from everybody behind me. But we've got everybody wanting to wave flags and say, well, that makes me a leader. No, it don't. And and just because you like to boss people around, that don't make you a leader either. You know, it's just, that just makes you bossy and makes nobody like you, is what that is. But talking about competition, like I said, competition in certain areas is a good thing, right? But for me, now I haven't played in a long time, but I used to like playing golf. But I stunk at it about like life. I stunk at it. And, you know, I know Caleb likes to play, but the thing I like about golf is football, basketball, baseball, soccer, right? You're playing against other people. Golf, you know what? If me and Caleb go and play golf, I don't give a rip what Caleb's hitting. I got to hit my ball. I got to play my club because I'm not playing Caleb, I'm playing the course. And we got to, and to me, that applies so much to life because I'm not playing against Brad. I'm not playing against Marcy. I'm not playing against Brenda. I'm not playing against Terry. I'm playing against life. I'm playing against Satan. I'm playing against... Most of the time, you know who I'm playing against? Raymond. I'm playing against Raymond a lot of times. And I'm going to tell you something. I lose a lot of times. But, you know, here's the thing, though. Is even when I'm playing against myself, I've still got Christ on my side. And he's, he, he can back me up. He's the one who says, here, look. You get a mulligan. Here. You know... It, it, and, and a lot of times in life, like, here's the thing about it. Look, just like golf, don't give up. Because there's been I can't tell you how many times, and I'm you, sure anybody who's played it can tell you, there's been so many times where I've sat there and been like, you know, forget this. I'm done. I stink at this. That's it. I give up. I quit. I'm through. And then you hole out one from 50 yards out, and you're like, well, maybe I'll keep on playing just a little bit more. But God does that to us, right? You get to the point where you're just ready to just give up. And then next thing you know, you're holding one out from 300 yards, and you're like, how did I do that? And God's going, I got the ball, and I put it where I want it to go, and I take care of it. So, now there was a certain man who had an infirmity 38 years. And so, What's the significance of the 38 years? Because, you know, the Bible doesn't just put things in there sporadically, right? And so when you see a number, look and try to find out what's going on. And look at the Bible. Be careful with it, though, because you can slip over into numerology, which is just as bad as astrology, you know? So I looked it up, and I'm like, 38 years, that's got to mean something. All right. So, in Deuteronomy, in chapter two, <clears throat> it says, verse fourteen. Well, I'm going to start in verse thirteen, and then I'll move to fourteen. Now, rise and cross over. Now, cross over the valley of Zared. So we crossed over the valley of the Zered, and the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was thirty-eight years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. So we all know the children of Israel spent 40 years in the desert. Well, the first two years, if you read, when you read Exodus up into Numbers, <clears throat> the first two years, it wasn't a punishment. That was God trying to get 400 years of slavery out of them. And he's trying to teach them to be their own nation. Because when you look and the way they, they he teaches them how to form columns. He teaches them how to how to camp and how to move out from the camp. And Terry can tell you, you know what I mean? If you've been in the military any time, you can start reading that and look at that and go, He's teaching them how to move. He's teaching them how to be a military. He's teaching them how to how to go to war. He's teaching them how to do things, but he's teaching them how to serve him yeah, yeah. and quit serving everybody else. He's, you know, and so you know in Numbers, the twelve men go out. They say, "Hey, look, there's there's too much." The, the people are too big, we can't fight against them, they so we're not going. So God says, well, I know I'm giving you a Cliff's Note version. So God says, well, then you're going to be here for 40 years because you didn't believe the word that I told you, right? So, But in actuality, he gave them 38 years with two years time served, right? So if you look at that story, what's interesting is all the unbelievers had to die before they could cross over. Here's the thing, what unbelief in you has to die before you're able to cross over? How many years are you going to spend circling around that same mountain before you finally surrender to God and say, Lord, kill it, take it? You know, they had to get rid of the mumblers, the grumblers, the unthankful, the unbelievers. You know, and so... What's so interesting in that? Why this man? Because when you read the story, you can see there's all kinds of people around this pool. Why did Jesus pick out this one guy? And if you've seen, has anybody watched The Chosen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. So I watched. I saw that part. If you've seen that one, it's pretty interesting. Their take on it, but. The thing is, just like this. Jesus went in, he healed this one person, and then he walked away. There's all kinds of other people around. Why didn't he heal them? For one, I don't know. Learn that. Please learn that. When somebody asks you a question that you don't know, I don't know. I heard heard a preacher, um, Erwin Lutzer. He was a pastor up at Moody Church in Chicago. (coughs) He said his daughter had a stillborn baby. And said he's sitting there in the room with her. Now, this man was a pastor of a large church, you know, big theologian, knew all he could possibly know about God. And he said he's sitting there, and he said he's holding his, his dead grandchild. And his daughter asked him, says, Daddy, why? And he said, I want you to learn this. He said, I gave the greatest theological answer I've ever given in my life. He said, I don't know. God's much bigger than any of us. He's much greater than any of us. We don't know everything there is to know about God. We won't ever know. Why do you think there's angels that circle around his throne to this day and have been ever since before creation and all they say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, is and is to come. Every time they circle around, they see something new about God. Because there's nothing else to say. You know what blows my mind is these people that say, well, when I stand before God, I'm gonna, you ain't going to do nothing. <laughs> One, you probably ain't going to be standing. You're probably going to be on your face. Because you're going to realize how insignificant you really are. You ain't near as important as you think you. I know we we live in a society where you got to pick everybody. Well, I'm sorry, I'm I carry an axe, yeah. but if you really think you're that important, Google out or, or or zoom out on Google Earth and tell me where you are. Yeah. Sorry, I have no. I'm not. <laughs> Brenda told me to quit apologizing. <laughs> yeah. So. But I love what Matthew Henry says. Shall we, who perhaps for many years have scarcely known what it has been to be a day sick, complain of one wearisome night, when many others, better than we, have scarcely known what it has meant to be meant to be a day well? Christ singled this one out from the rest. Yeah. Those long in affliction may comfort themselves that God keeps account how long. So why this man? I think this is is my theology, my personal theology. So I leave room to let you know I could be wrong. But... I believe that it was a symbol of the Jews. Because if they look at 38 years, they're going to see something me and you probably won't see until we go digging in. I believe that this was Jesus' way of letting them know it took you 38 years to get to the promised land. After 38 years, this man has encountered the promised one. So you go from having the promised land, so now it's time to enter in. And it's time to cross over. I'm here, and he's making an announcement. I am here, and I am the Messiah. So Jesus goes to this man, and he says, do you want to be made well? Now, doesn't that seem like a crazy question? Do you want to be made well? But see, the thing about it is, when we read this, we can't see the inflection of what he's actually saying, right? Because we all know it's not so much how you say or what you say, but how you say it. So did Jesus go to this guy and go, you want to be made well? Or did he go to this guy and go, do you want to be made well? See the difference? I asked the same question, but not really. Right? Because the thing is, I've had to deal with this myself. Do I want to be made well? Right? So why would Jesus ask that question? It, it, it's Matthew 7, verse 13, 14. I think it's because most people would rather follow the wide path than the narrow path. Right? He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is a gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because. The because is a... it. it, it it's the explanation of why people would rather go down the y path. Because narrow is the gate. And difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That way is difficult. The Christian life ain't easy. Following Christ ain't easy. Following Christ is actually really hard. You know, because <clears throat> Luke 14... Verse 25, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, I bet nobody's got this up on their mirror at home, do you? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. You know what? I am so sick of hearing people saying, Well, we need to walk in love. And it's their excuse for loving their part their their, their brother, their sister, their child more than God. We are to love one, but we are to love him above everybody else. If they're doing wrong, if they're going against God, you need to call them out. You need to love them enough to say, listen, what you're doing is sending you to hell. That's right. yeah. And if they reject it, then they reject it. But do not be coddling people. Because, look, here's the thing. God spoke to me a long time ago and let me know I'm an Ezekiel. And if you don't know what that means, that means <laughs> my job is to stand at the tower and blow the trumpet. And your blood is not going to be on my hands. My job is to sit here and say, what you're doing is wrong. And if you don't heed the warning, it's on you. See, you know, quit trying to act like you got, it, it's on your shoulders to bring people to heaven. You know what our job is? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. If they accept it, they accept it. If they reject it, they reject it. It's not on me. I look. You can't save anybody. There's only one who can save. My job is to lead them to Him. And the thing is, the problem is, you got people trying to lead people to Christ who they don't even know how to get to Him them themselves. You don't even know the way. I got to. I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to hurry. <clears throat> you know, John five twenty five. He says, "Most well, surely I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is." Was well, is the hour coming, or is it here? It's interesting. Jesus said, "The hour is coming, and now." In other words, it's both. Yeah. It's coming, and it's here. It's coming, and it's here. You can stand in the middle of a river, and you know what? The water's coming, and it's here. Yeah. The water's coming. And it's here. But the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So maybe if you ain't hearing God, it's because you ain't dead yet. That's our problem. is Most of us, we are not willing to make ourselves a living sacrifice. Jesus said take up our cross daily and follow him. Not pick it up one time and then you're done. No, no, no. It's because we have to die daily. I'm going to tell you something, man. I do not do good at that. I look, Raymond gets resurrected a lot. And I have to put him down a lot. You know, you got to remember when you come up to this altar, do you know what the purpose of the altar is? The purpose of the altar is to kill things. The purpose of the altar is to burn things. We got to quit coming up here and laying it down and then picking it up and bringing it back to life. We need to bring it up here, kill it, burn it, let it go. People don't want to change. Matthew 22, I'm going to skip down to the end, Megan, uh, verse 11. There's a story, most of you have heard it, about a king having a wedding. And he invites all the guests. Well, when the guests come, he goes up. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The thing is, we got a lot of people, a lot of you sitting in here right now, you want to go to the wedding, but you ain't willing to change. Here's the thing about it. The interesting thing about that, in that culture, they didn't have to provide the garment. The garment was provided by the kings. So the thing is, you don't want to put on the king's clothes because you're too busy wanting to wear your own. We need to put on the king's garments. We need to be ready to take off what we have, put on what he has, because that's really the only way you're going to get in. You don't get to go into heaven being your own person, doing your own thing, doing it your own way, wearing your own clothes. we got to be dressed in Christ. That's the only way to make it in. You know Jesus told the disciples watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, the thing is do you want to be made well? Do you my, that's my question to each and every one of us here. Do you want to be made well or do you just like having your little pet sins? Do you want to be made well or do you just like living as a mediocre Christian? Do you want to be made well or do you like having a bad temper, cussing just a little bit. Look, don't tell me God can't take the cussing from you. I've embarrassed sailors when I was in the Navy. I had buddies of mine go, man, you need to calm that down a little bit. When you're embarrassing sailors, you got a pretty bad mouth. I mean, I had buddies of mine that had he was telling a story to to another guy, and the guy said, man, I can't imagine you ever cussing. And my buddy started dying laughing. He said, man, he used to embarrass me. But it's Christ in me. Here's the thing. Here's the deal. It's because I surrendered that to him. If there's something not being cleansed out of you, it's because you ain't surrendered it to him yet. I can tell you there's things in me that He's still working on, you know, like the like the child, so he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You know? Do you do you want to be made well or, or or do you like being a a kiss up? I had to kind of tame that one down a little bit. You know, do you like being self-righteous? Do you like being miserable just so everybody will feel sorry for you? You know. I know people that they're not happy unless they're miserable. The only way they have joy is because they get to complain to everybody else and let everybody else know how bad their life stinks. You know? I ain't preaching to y'all, by the way, all the time. I mean, I'm just, I come over here. Yeah, yeah. Look, Joe ain't here or I'd be hammering on him right now. (laughs) And he knows it. He's probably going to watch this later, so he'll figure it out. He's preaching himself, so y'all pray for him. So he comes to this guy, and, and so when Jesus asks him a question, what does he do? The guy starts complaining, right? There's no one to help me, and another steps down before me, right? So all of these people, like I said earlier, at the house of mercy, sitting under the five coverings, and only conserved for themselves, and not even looking at somebody else who might be worse off than them. You know, how much do we do that here? Well, we're so concerned with ourselves. We ain't worried about what, what's going on in other people's lives. There's people, look, no matter how bad your life stinks, there's somebody worse off than you. No matter how bad you may have it financially, there's somebody worse off than you. No matter how sick you may think you are, one, you're here, there's somebody worse off than you. You know, but the thing is, he's also refusing to take responsibility. Because how many times do we want to do that? We want to blame everybody else. The problems in my life is somebody else's fault. Look, until you take responsibility, things ain't going to change. If you still keep going through the same mess, more than likely it's you. Quit blaming God for the decisions that you've made in your life that's got you into the point where you are. You know, I know people that... let Let me rephrase. I've been the person... Who said, God, why? Why? And then I look back and realize, oh, it's because I did something stupid. That's why. Right? You know, I mean, I had buddies of mine when I was in the military. It it was kind of a running joke. They would ask me, you know, because I lived quite a few years as an agnostic. I, I wasn't sure if there was a God or not. And I grew up in church my whole life. You know, and it wasn't until God revealed himself to me that I really knew who he was. I had a lady one time, she said she was struggling because her son was becoming an agnostic. And I said, well, good. And she just kind of looked, you know, she's like, what do you mean good? I said, because I've been there. I said, because the thing is, here, here's, one th- here's one thing I can tell you. Is when you find out that God is real, can't nobody take it from you. Because, see, it it wasn't because he went off what Mama said. He went off what Daddy said. He went off what somebody else said. Look, it's because he found him himself. And God revealed himself to it. Because the thing is, when I found out that God is real, you couldn't convince me that he's not real. I I don't care what kind of scientific evidence you got. I don't care what kind of argument. Look. My mama's been dead since 2007. You could take everything away that ever proves she exists. But you know what? You can't tell me she never existed. You may not see it. You may not believe she ever was real. But I can tell you, I know she was. So you can't tell me that God's not real. So what's interesting about this, Jesus didn't listen to his complaints. Rise, take up your bed and walk. All you're complaining, all you're grumbling, everything you're doing, Jesus is saying, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And, you know, here's the interesting part. Because, you know, I've been in the, the, the word of faith movements and all that stuff. And so what some of them will tell you is, if you don't have faith, you know, you can't be healed because you didn't have faith. You didn't have enough faith. This guy didn't know who Jesus was. How can he have faith in somebody? He don't even know who he is. Look, Lazarus was dead. And Jesus said, rise. And the reason he said Lazarus, come forth, because if he didn't call his name, everybody's getting up. So, you know, but it's amazing. You know, I mean, Jesus walks up to to the widow of Nain. She's walking her dead son on a casket going to bury him, and she runs into the one who is the giver of life. If you want to mess up a funeral, you invite Jesus. If you really want things to change, you invite Jesus. Because he walked up and he said, oh, this ain't happening today. I've got something to say about this oh man, see I told you Megan I just getting, it's all over the place, you never know that wasn't even in my notes but the interesting thing about it I forget it, I don't need these anymore I'm done immediately the man was made well you know what I love about when they show that show and chosen is that Jesus tells him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And I can imagine this guy sitting there. He's been laying there for 38 years, right? He's been paralyzed for 38 years. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but he can't move. People passing him, so apparently he's paralyzed. Can you imagine? He's just sitting there, and Jesus says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And you know the first thought he had was, yeah, Right? Dude, I'm, did you not see what I'm in? But he got up because he believed the word. If you really want to rise up and walk, believe the word. Let the word not return to him void, but accomplish what he sends it forth to do. Immediately. 38 years, man. 33 years. 33 years living in hell. 33 years walking through hell. 33 years celebrating hell. 33 years. But immediately... In the moment, in the blink of an eye, September 11th, 2009, I encountered Jesus Christ, and he changed me forever. And I'm telling you, no matter how long you've been in it, no matter how long you've walked, no matter how long you've been paralyzed, no matter how long you think, I can't do this, he says, rise. Take up your bed and walk, and immediately things change. There's numerous. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. There's plenty of people in this place right now who can testify that in the moment, He can change you. In the moment, He can change everything about you. I am, it's, uh, like I talk, told the lady Friday, look, I am walking, talking, living proof that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I ain't where I used to be. I don't know if they have anything, but you know, I used to church I grew up in. We were talking about Southern Gospel. They used to sing this song. And I didn't get why people would get up and run around the church. And I didn't understand. I grew up in one of those wild churches where people would run the aisles. And they'd dance up and down the aisles and they'd run up and down the pews. And I didn't get, I didn't understand it. Until I understood the song. And it wasn't because I understood the words. It was because I felt it. Because I knew. Now. What it was like. To be. Shackled by a heavy burden, beneath the load of guilt and shame. Because, see, I lived that life. I was there, man. I had every bit of it. And then, then... Then, the hand of Jesus touched me. And see, now I get why they did it. Because now I am no longer the same. Come on, who can sing this? Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy. That floods my soul, something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. See, I can sing that because He did. He touched me. See, the best part is now I get to sing verse 2 because I get it. Since I've met this blessed Savior. Come Come on. Since He cleansed and made me whole. Oh, I will never to praise him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made.